Welcome to the Energetic Radio Podcast. My name is Dale Sidebottom. Each week, I'll bring you inspirational guests who will help you bring fun, energy, and purpose into your lives. Let the show begin. Welcome to episode number 115. Today, we have the wonderful Nick Demos joining us. Now, Nick is one of the most interesting characters that I've followed and not only followed, but been really keen on a lot of the work that he creates, his courses, his content is next level. Now, for those who have never heard of Nick, he is a producer, filmmaker, writer, yoga teacher, meditation coach, and basically the list goes on and on and on. And Nick's going to share with us so many different things today, how you can increase the mindfulness in your life. Uh, Also, different ways to get more creative because obviously when we're creative, We're in a a real steady flow. We're really passionate about what we're doing and also daily practices that um, can work for you to uh, improve your mood, improve your energy and every facet of your life. So guys, sit back and enjoy. This is an amazing chat with Nick Demos. Guys, a huge warm welcome. I've got Nick Demos here all the way from LA. How are you, buddy? I'm great. Thank you so much for having me. Not a problem at all. Now, mate, you're a producer, you're a filmmaker, writer, yoga teacher, meditation coach, and the list goes on and on. And the first thing I want to know, do you uh, have you figured out somehow to have 48-hour days? <laughs> well, here's the thing. When you do meditate, which uh, I'm a huge proponent of, having a daily practice it makes you more productive. It makes you more focused, more centered, and uh, that's the way to that's the way to have twelve uh, tentacles. <laughs> I, I love that. And and for people that listen to the podcast, they know that uh, I've been meditating for probably six months now, and um, I'm getting better at it now. Is that something that you hear a lot? That um, I'm just no good at it. I can't do it. I hear that all the time, and I I, I always say to people, it's called a practice. It's not something that you will ever be good at. It's not something that you're actually bad at. It's something that shifts over time. It's nothing that you're ever going to win an award for. You're not going to win an Oscar or a Grammy or a Tony or even a blue ribbon uh, for your involvement. So stop trying to win and start trying to just be in the present moment. Yeah, I think that's a great point. And it's all about really repetition, isn't it? The more you do something, the better you become. And then the, the noise in your head slowly drops off. Um, is is that sort of the messaging that you try and bring across to not only the people you coach, but um, just anybody generally that might be interested in meditating? Yeah, I, I think for me, really, the, the, the key takeaway is that you're not trying to get rid of your, your thoughts. I think there's a, a, a falsity a false idea of what meditation is in that people want their thoughts to stop. And the reality is, is that they're never going to stop there. Your brain is wired to think. So rather than, than trying to stop your thoughts, you're merely becoming the observer of them. And by becoming more of an observer of your thoughts, you create space between them. And eventually over time, we're creating more space between the thoughts and in those moments, in that space, amazing things come through. That's the channel. If you, if you are spiritual, you can think of it as the channel of the divine, of God, of whatever. Or if you're not spiritual, you can just think of it as an opening in a space for clarity to come through. 
And that's and that's sort of the that's really the end game, isn't it? The longer you can have that space, uh, the less noise clutter, and it really gives your time, your mind, your body to recharge. And it only needs to be a short period of time, doesn't it? I think a lot of people think you need to meditate for half an hour, an hour, but even a short meditation can really have some benefits, can't it, Nick? It absolutely can. In fact, when I first start with my students, I start them at two minutes, a two minute meditation, and it has miraculous effects very quickly, very early on. And then over time, we grow the meditation practice because it's like a muscle. The more the more you do it, the more time you need. You go to the gym and you work on something, you lift a weight and over time you need to increase the weight, right? Uh, and it's the same kind of thing with meditation that over time you you need more time because the muscle has expanded. Yeah, I, th- I think that's a really good metaphor, and people will be able to relate to that. And it's it's like anything; nothing will just happen overnight. You need to put the you need to put the effort and the time in. Now, daily practices is something that I know you're huge about, and um, I follow your courses, I follow you on Instagram. Where should people start if they're like I I, I just don't know how to actually set it up or, or what will work for me. Yeah, so there's lots of different, here's the other thing about meditation. Meditation is not a sit, it's a state of being. So everyone can meditate in different ways. For some people, meditation is swimming. For some people, it's going and riding a bike every day. For some people, it's it's running. You, it's about being so fully immersed in something that your mind rests and you come into what you know. some people call the zone or the space of genius or your vein of gold or whatever you want to call that space. And I think we all know it, that we've been in it, right? And you're creating this uh, uh, practice of coming to do something. And I, and I say do something. And it doesn't have to be a, a, a seated meditation. That works for some people and it doesn't work for others. But you want to do the same thing every single day. Because when you do it every day, you begin to create consistent uh, consistency, and it over time, you know where your base level is then. And when you create this consistent practice every single day, you start to very slowly change the brain, as we were talking about. Now, if you want a seated practice, I really, I really do say, go first to breath work. Breath work is so amazing and simple and easy to follow. Watching your breath, very uh, direct, very uh, short amount of time is all that's needed, but it is profound in the way in which you can begin to change the shape of your life. When you Practice pranayama, which is prana means energy and yama means restraint or restraint of your energy, pranayama. When you do the a practice of pranayama, of watching the breath, of holding the breath, you can even just breathe in. Inhale one, two, three, hold two, three, exhale two, three, and repeat that several times. When you do a practice that's that simple, but you do it repetitively, you begin to change your energy. And what I mean by that is that we, uh, when we control our breath, we can control our nervous system. And we learn to control our nervous system, we re- begin to re- control our reactions to outside stimulus. And when we can control the, actions to, the reaction to outside stimulus, that's when we can change our thought patterns. So by, cha- by taking in breaths 
and watching and observing your breath for even two minutes at a time, you begin to change your nervous system and your habitual patterns. Yeah, I, I, I completely understand that. And I think the big message that people really need to take away is that it, if you say you're time poor or you can't fit that in two minutes, you know, that's a massive excuse. Everybody's got two minutes. So would you say that's probably the first step of starting your daily practice, there, Nick, is um, finding that time to meditate and finding a meditation that works for you. Like you said, it can be going for a walk, a run. Um, for me personally, I, I like doing a breathing activity and then I will try and do 100 burpees um, in 10 minutes. Oh, and, and, when, and when I'm doing that, Nick, I'm not thinking of anything else because I'm so exhausted, but I get that out of the way. And, and that's a way for me personally to do it. So, um, is that something you recommend to people as part of their daily practices, finding that special thing that works for that individual? Yeah. And, you know, it, it, yes, absolutely. It's finding what works for you. And, and you know, I obviously believe strongly in, in, a, in a seated meditation practice. But for many years for me, it was a yoga practice that I did repeatedly. And it wasn't and it, the physical aspects of yoga and wasn't. And then it became a writing practice. And I do something called creative play now, where I do nine minutes a day of creative play. I do my breathing exercises. I sit a little bit and meditate. And then I do nine minutes of freeform creativity, whatever that means. Often for me, writing, sometimes it's, I'm a, a, you know, a a visual artist as well. Sometimes, I mean, it, for me, I just want to, to play as an artist. So I get the burpee thing. I think that's really fantastic. And yeah, I think, you know, I, I'm a a proponent of practicing in the morning And the reason for that is that when you get up in the morning and you do it right away and you do it before you even have coffee, which I know some people are like, oh, I can't (laughs) do that. Uh, Before you have breakfast, before you even shower, you do it right away because, again, knowing where your energetic system is when when you're not amped up on coffee or sugar or any other, you know, on anything really, when you know where you're at, you know where that baseline is, you know where that consistency is, then you can actually track your progress and how your life is shifting and changing. But I also am a big proponent of it because people tend to, as the day goes on, make more and more excuses not to do it. I mean, I know for myself, I find that if I don't get up and do it right away in the morning, then, you know, oh, I'll do it. I'll do it uh, midday. Oh, well, I, you know, then I took that meeting and then that phone call came in and then, and then, oh, well, maybe I'll do it, you know, after dinner. Oh, well, but that TV show is on that I want to watch. I got, you know, I got Netflix something, whatever. And over the course of time, you're less likely to actually do the practice. So if you set yourself up and do it right away, you are setting yourself up not only to get it done, but to have and be able to take that that peacefulness, that energy, that focus, that clarity, all of that with you throughout your day. You're setting yourself up to have a great day. Yeah, and I, I totally agree. And when you think about it, that's I, I say to people that it's 20 minutes of my morning that um, I focus on doing the burpees, doing a little bit of journaling, and then doing a breathing exercise in my meditation. And if somebody says they don't have 20 minutes, again, I, that's, I think that really sets my day up and it, it allows me to really get into some meaningful work and everything like that. And I think that's exactly what you're trying to say. So what are some other uh, areas that, of creative play that have worked for some of the people you've coached or people that you know there, Nick? 
Sure. You know, I mean, I have coached a lot of writers and a lot of actors. And what their creative play looks like is so different depending on who they are. Some people literally cut things out of magazines and create, you know, uh, collages for their creative play. Some people knit. Some people... Uh, you know, finger paint. I mean, I have I have seen so many different forms of creative play that are really are about getting getting you out of your out of your headspace, getting you into your heart, into your body, into um, into that zone. And I, you know, it's fun for me because the creative play part for me is different every day. I have a very structured practice of uh, pranayama, breathing exercises, meditation, and then my creative play, it, it changes every day. That's the one thing that I allow to sort of shift and change each day because as a creative working artist myself, it's very important to me that I'm constantly exploring and um, stretching my artist. And so I will go to whatever brings me joy. And I think that's actually important too about the practice. It needs to be something that brings you joy. If you are going to say, oh, I must have a meditation practice because I was told I must have a meditation practice and I'm gonna sit there and I'm gonna be miserable for 20 minutes, I don't really think it, it has the benefit that, that you want. I would rather see you sit for two to three minutes and get up and do something that you really, truly, enjoy something that brings you joy something that will take you into that zone and like i said for me and for many of my students it's various forms of creative play but for other people like you the burpee that brings you joy obviously it, uh, it, it's sort of a love-hate relationship there, Nick. It, it does bring me joy, but it, it also is something that uh, I find quite challenging. But one thing I uh, am a big believer in is, and, and that's childlike play. So exactly what you're saying, and if people really struggle to find that time or find something that they're interested about, I always say, say think back to when you were a child and, and what did you love doing? And, and a lot of people might be drawing, it might be knitting, it might be everything you've just said. And um, for me, one thing, and why I wanted you on the podcast, I think it was a year or a year and a half ago, you, you released an email course of, a nine-day creative sort of course. And what that did for me is it, it made me dust off my DJ decks and um, that was something I used to do. And, and now I've got them set up in the lounge room and that's something every week now I'll play for a little bit, which is gives me, it's something that reminds me of um, when I was able to do that. It allows me to be present and I'm mindful. And um, is that something that you find people are doing, that they're finding things that used to give them joy and they're trying to bring them back into their life? Absolutely, I, I love that you're that you're that you're telling me that that you're expressing me expressing that to me. Thank you so much. Yeah, that is uh, one of the th the the things that I most strongly recommend to people is go back to your childhood, go back to what you loved doing, just because you did it. Because creativity is a an unlearning process. It's not a learned process. You were born creative. We're all born with this innate creativity within us. And, you know, if you look at a child, a child picks up a, uh, a pan, a pot, picks up pots and pans and they become musical instruments and they pick up uh, Legos and they create something without thinking. And what happens is over time we are socialized to not think that way, to think more logically, to not explore, to, you know, do what we're supposed to do. And also, we're, we, we become very fearful of being judged. 
And so the creative process oftentimes is just an, an unlearning. It is the taking away of these blocks, these emotional blocks at, that are holding us back from finding and living in our innate creativity. Yeah, I, I totally agree with that. And one thing I think it is that life takes over. You know, we get busy, we get jobs, we get families, we get all these other things. And the last thing that sort of comes out is we shut down that creative side. We don't play anymore. And one of the big things trying to find that again is people are vulnerable. They don't want to say, oh, I play, I do this because they'll be judged. So um, if you were to give three tips, so people listening along, they're like, well, that's all really good for Dale and Nick to say that they do this, they do that. But what might be just three simple little tips that listeners could just action today to try and increase that creativity that they've probably locked away in a jar and they don't have a key to open it. So I, I would say this, your, your creativity is in your everyday. The way in which you uh, make your bed, the way in which you do your laundry, the way in which you tuck your children at night and read them stories, these are all creative adventures. It's how you look at the world. So rather than saying, I have to, look at ways in which you can make even the everyday more interesting, more creative, and more exciting to you. Yeah, that's a, that's a really good tip. And I suppose everybody, as you said there, it's not one, one shoe size fits all. It's going to be different. So, Nick, you obviously do all this and you help so many other people. How do you grow personally and in life? How do I grow in life? Yeah. I have amazing teachers. I, uh, you know, I've been very fortunate over the years to work with some incredible teachers. I, you know, I have done everything from go live in, you know, with my teacher in an ashram to uh, exploring my creative side with different mentors, with a writing teacher. I, you know, I think that has really been uh, the, the way in which I've continued to grow is that I've been very curious and I think that's also a really important um, aspect of creativity and of the meditation practice. And for me, of the merging of them has been my curiosity. Um, so I really grow through not only learning from other people, but from doing, you know, I, I, I've letting go of those fears that you were talking about. And sometimes I make huge, messy, terrible mistakes but I don't really look at them as mistakes. I look at them as opportunities for, for growth and enlightenment. It's a, it's a really good way of putting it. And um, the only way you do learn is by actually making mistakes and getting better. So one of the things there, obviously, you've had amazing mentors. Um, how have you found them? Do you have a process of uh, finding the best people in the best field? Or is it about somebody you click with, somebody you know, uh, recommendations? How have you found your mentors, Nick? You know, a little bit of a little bit of all of the above. They they always say, you know, when the, the 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 teacher will appear when the student is ready. And I've been fortunate to, in some ways, just fall into some people, and others people have recommended people to me. It's been a real combination for me of finding the right mentor and the right teacher. It really has has been different every single time. And, you know, it's interesting because stu students find me in various ways. Sometimes uh, it is through a recommendation or maybe I'll go teach a workshop and somebody will take the workshop and after say, can I come study with you? And then some people find me online. You know, I mean, there's very, very so many different ways to, to, to teach now and to learn now that um, there's always a way to find a great mentor. 
Yeah, I think that's exactly right. And if you are open to the idea, I'm sure a mentor might just hit you in the face if you uh, keep your eye on it. Now, you mentioned mistakes, and I like to ask a few of my guests this. So um, in the last 20, 25 years of you know everything you're doing, filmmaking, producing, writing, yoga, meditation, is there one failure that has been the biggest lesson um, that you've learned from that sticks out? Yeah, okay. It's interesting because there was actually a big success that was uh, one of the biggest lessons. I, um, you know, at the top of my game as a as a theater producer, I'm uh, working on Broadway and I am winning a Tony Award. And um, this is an exciting day and an exciting time. And I was miserable. And. So, and the reason I was miserable is because I was out of alignment with what I really wanted to be doing and really felt like I I felt like doing, I was unhappy doing that, which is really interesting to say it was a failure because while on the outside to the outside world, it was such a huge success. But for me on the inside, I was so unhappy that it wasn't a success. And that was a great lesson to me, that it doesn't always look the way it feels. Wow, that's... That's that's so sorry, Kay. That's so powerful because I think too often we look at people's lives and and looking at you there, you're on Broadway, you've won a Tony Award. You know, we would think that you're at the top of your game, you're the happiest you've ever been, but deep down you're not. So, how important is it to you to have a career or meaningful work? I think the meaningful work is everything because while and there are people that really felt that the work we were doing on Broadway was meaningful, and it was. I didn't feel that it was the work that was right for me. So now I've come to realize I was taking away somebody else's joy. Is that, because, take- yeah, is that because you're taking their role? They could have uh, someone yeah. that obviously wanted it more? I was taking their job. I was taking their joy. Yeah, that's it's a really interesting way of putting it. And so once you've obviously won that Tony Award and um, you've got all the accolades and everything like that, what what was the turning point? When did you say, right, how did you find your purpose? How did you go about that, Nick? Well, you know, it was through through this practice. This is why I am so uh, – I'm such a uh, proponent of a practice is because it was through this daily uh, ritualistic you know, every single morning coming to my yoga mat and coming to the writing and coming to the, the, the sit that I learned who I actually was and what I actually wanted to do and what my purpose really was. And that is how I came to it. It's a, it's a really, really good thing. And I'm sure people are listening. And I know um, a lot of people have desires to have that amazing career or have, have purposeful work to make an impact on the world. Now, you obviously left Broadway, which is probably a very financial position, winning Tony Awards. And now you've found another area. How did you turn that into the career that you're doing now? Yeah, and I haven't fully left Broadway either. Okay. What I realized is that I could... I could um, have it, but not in the same way. I could be a part of it and do it, but not in the same way, um, which, you know, which is also an, a lesson that it doesn't have to be an all or nothing in life, right? There are ways, it's about making it work for you, design your life the way that's right for you. Um, 
I'm sorry, I forgot what your question yes, was. Yes, sir, I, and I agree. That's, that's really good. So obviously, you've now you've still got a little bit of Broadway, and you're doing it. So it's it's not a it's not a chore. You know, you're really passionate about Correct. it. But you've also found this other area of your life that you know that is your purpose. You were so passionate about it, and it works for you, and you want to share it with others. How have you gone from just having that practice to now obviously presenting all over the world, creating amazing courses? How have you sort of turned that into your career? Yeah, it was a little bit at a time, you know, over over a stretch of time, because it's been, you know, 12 years now since that since that moment, um, you know, a, a decade over a decade later, uh, it's been just a, a little bit of growth and a little bit of determination and a little bit of failure and a little bit every single day um, to to create this new world for myself. Uh, and, you know, I am still um, not only do I teach, but I also still am a filmmaker and I'm st- and I still work on Broadway. I find it it it, it uh, deepens my work in both ways by working with other people on their creative craft and on their mindfulness and on helping them become the most authentic version of themselves, helping them reach their highest potential. I, it it then informs my art. And by staying as an artist, staying as a working creative, I'm able to bring all of that knowledge and all of that experience when I'm working with students. And so it's been this 10-year process of bringing all of these worlds together, the teacher and the artist. Um, And it's a, I've carved out a unique and, um, beautiful life that works for me. Yeah, and it, it, mate, you can tell by the passion in your voice that you've done that. So uh, I'm guessing that you're, you, it's like sort of kindness and giving, you know, when you you give to somebody else, but then you get the satisfaction and you actually feel better yourself. Is that sort of what you're doing with your clients now and the people you're working with that um, you're able to unlock so many doors that it's so rewarding on the back end for you? Yeah, that I think is maybe the most rewarding, the most rewarding experiences are watching the evolution and the growth of my students and seeing from the spark of that initial spark of I, I I am growing, I am changing, I am learning, I am expanding to watching their success is really, um, uh, it's what I'm most grateful for. Yeah, and I know a lot of teachers will be listening to this, and obviously they get to do that every day. So um, I, I know they'll be able to relate to that. Now, um, Nick, I've got a couple of questions I always like to ask my guests, and, and one of them is if you could go back to 18-year-old Nick and uh, give yourself one bit of advice that you've learned from the numerous jobs you've had, the numerous life experiences, traveling the world, living all over the world, what would that one bit of advice be? The one bit of advice to Nick at, at eight is you don't know everything. You don't need to know everything. Go play, keep playing, keep exploring. Very, that, that's so good. And, and I think for people listening, the play aspect is something that I know I am huge on at the moment. And there's a, I'm, I'm sure you've read, but Dr. Stuart Brown's work and the book Play, and it's so evident that the health benefits, not only for yourself, but people around you around that. So that's great advice. And um, what, what do you want to be remembered for? What's the future look like for Nick Demos? 
Oh, gosh, that is a really great question. Uh, what do I want to be remembered for? I want to be remembered for somebody that um, that opened hearts, that uh, helped people grow, helped people laugh, helped people uh, change, helped people in their evolution, and and maybe somebody who tells good stories and helps others do the same. Awesome, mate. I think that's a really good way of putting it. And and I suppose you've already done so much for me with those. I think it was just a simple uh, nine-day email that came out about the creativity. And, and I love that. But you've got so many other courses. So I'm sure people listening along today are like, wow, I, I want to know more about this. I want to find the same passion. I want to have the same purpose, um, get my daily routine sorted. Where can we find out about some of these courses and other things you offer, Nick? Yeah, so you can uh, check me out on my website, which is the, T-H-E, Nick, N-I-C-K, Demos, D-E-M-O-S dot com, thenickdemos.com. Uh, and it's the same handle on Instagram and Facebook, the Nick Demos. Perfect. Well, I'll have links in the show notes for that, guys, so you can go over to energetic.education. This is episode number 115, and there will be those links in there. Now, Nick, before you go, mate, uh, thank you so much for your time here today. But not only that, all the amazing work you're doing, having such a huge impact around the world. And I know just personally, mate, I was so excited to chat to you today because you've had a huge impact on everything I'm doing and the play aspect, the daily routine, the practice and everything like that. So keep up the great work, mate. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it.